The Rural Health Voice, Episode 82, Rise for Youth. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. How does Virginia's juvenile justice system impact health? Valerie Slater, Executive Director for Rise for Youth, joined me to discuss the need to reform Virginia's juvenile prisons. Well, welcome, Valerie. Hi, Beth. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for joining us in the podcast. It is my pleasure, and thank you for the invitation. Looking forward to jumping in. Oh, sure thing. So let, let's start from the beginning here. You have a law degree. Did you always want to be a lawyer? You know, I didn't. I thought for a while I wanted to be a child psychologist because I've always had a deep care for for children, even when I was one. Um, and my peers, I wanted to protect them. I wanted to be that listening ear. And coming up, I just knew that that's how it would roll out. But as I continued my education journey, I realized that if I really want to make change, it's the law that kind of opens up that whole realm of kind of uh, shaping the way children are treated in every system. And so then it was sealed. I was going to be a lawyer. Sure. And now the executive director for Rise for Youth, which is what? Yes, Rise for Youth. It stands for Reinvest in Supportive Environments. And we're an organization that believes first and foremost that children deserve every right to dream and then achieve those dreams. And the spaces that don't allow for children to live out their dreams, then we are in the business of helping to make change happen so that every child indeed has a safe, a healthy, a thriving community and network so that they are able to, to, to be become their best selves as adults. Mm -hmm. And you, of course, are addressing the connection between youth and the juvenile justice system. And I think we've all heard the mantra, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. Does that somehow not apply to kids? You know, it's not so much that it doesn't apply to kids. The, the difference is we need to look at more than just that moment in time in a child's life. We've got to, and I would say it's true, quite frankly, for everyone, but if you have circumstances in a child's life and you have um, uh, environments that are not creating healthy spaces and then children act in unhealthy ways, and then we want to blame them for that unhealthy behavior as if somehow it happened in a vortex and not look at those root causes and create the environment for children to make healthy choices, something's wrong with that paradigm. Something's wrong with that paradigm. We need to shift and begin to create healthy spaces so children can make healthy choices. Sure. And I think most people have some story from their youth that ends with, if I had been caught, I would have been in big trouble. What, what's the difference between a kid having a momentary lapse in judgment and a kid that is truly troubled? You know, one of the biggest differences is, again, that environment. 
So there are environments that are incredibly healthy and that provide children with the opportunity to make mistakes and bounce back from them. And then there are environments that are incredibly over-policed and that are constantly looking at children and waiting for that moment that lapse so that they can be caught up and captured. And anytime you... um, continually scrutinize someone and you're constantly telling them that, you know, what they're doing is wrong and perhaps that they're bad. You know, we've all heard of the self-fulfilling prophecy. And if an entire environment is skewed to make a child believe that nothing about them is good, nothing about their space is healthy, nothing about their environment is going to ever allow them to thrive, they'll start believing it and act accordingly. Mm-hmm. What do you say to people who think that, you know, the comments you made are, are just an excuse that a, the kid, you know, really wanted to, to do good and, and be a good person that they would find a way despite their environment? I would say, you know, it's a sad thing when we place the burden on a child to find the way to raise themselves regardless of their environment. It's a sad thing when we tell children, you know, we recognize that the spaces that that have been created for you, the, the circumstances that you have been born into, that they are hard and that they are constantly uh, pulling at you in many different directions, that you are experiencing traumas on a daily basis often, whether it is the violence that you see in the community, whether it may even be violence happening inside your home, whether it's parents that aren't able to provide because they have jobs that are not meeting every need, whether it's you're not having enough to eat. Because again, we're just trying to make sure that there's a roof over the head and that there are some lights on. And sometimes that may be at the expense of a meal on the table. It's a sad thing when we say to that child, figure it out and still operate at prime operate at with all pistons firing and don't get in trouble. At what point do we allow children to be children and the adults in the space are the ones that carry the burden? Sure, sure. You know, I think about my children, which looking back was pretty cushioned um, and I still made some big mistakes. Um, for children that don't have that kind of cushion, I can't even imagine Right. And then, you know, depending on the zip code, and unfortunately, sometimes depending on the color of the skin, it doesn't matter whether the mistake was small or large, you could still be treated as if that momentary lapse in judgment was the worst thing that's happened, you know, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. The book is thrown at you as if, you know, your public enemy number one the largest threat to society. And that's also unfortunate that, you know, we literally can map out zip codes and say, hmm, that particular area is sending more kids to the Department of Juvenile Justice than any other area. And what can we say about those particular zip codes? First of all, they're high poverty areas. They're um, areas with high 
uh, minority populations. And, you know, they're, they're areas that are basically everything that could be going wrong in a community. They're unfortunately, they've got the long end of that stick. And yet, rather than looking at all of those factors that have played into creating an environment that, that is not setting children up for success, we're quick to say, yes, those are failures. We need to do something with them. Matter of fact, the juvenile justice system is the best place for them. That's a problem. It used to be that being sent to juvenile justice was viewed as a way to straighten out troubled youth, get them to fly right, and make sure they didn't go to prison as adults. Why doesn't it work that way in reality? Well, I mean, if we just look at the statistics, there is a three-year reconviction rate for youth who have been committed and released to the juvenile justice system of 73.5. That means approximately three quarters of all of the kids that end up in the system are going back. But understanding that at that three-year mark, they're adults at that point, or they're considered adults. The average age of a young person who is incarcerated and put into the Department of Juvenile Justice Care is 17, 16 and a half, 17. Add three years to that. And we're talking about young folks who, unfortunately, are now traveling through the adult system. And so if we have a reconviction rate at the three-year mark that high, it's not working. And, you know, and, and then when you look at the uh, environments of, of, of lack and then all of the the trauma that these young folks have been uh, exposed to, then 90%, as of 2020, over 90% of youth incarcerated required mental health services. And more than 70% of youth that enter youth prisons have demonstrated significant symptoms of a mental health disorder at the time they were admitted. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, and then just one other point that really needs lifting up here, over half of all of the commitments to the care of the Department of Juvenile Justice were stealing related crimes, burglary, larceny, robbery. I am not condoning any of those things, but children stealing if they're coming from communities of extreme poverty and lack and they're stealing are we not figuring out that one plus one equals two if we begin to meet the needs we can then see a decrease in these behaviors it we shouldn't wait until children have done something that can land them in trouble before we start addressing those those protective factors and those those situations around them that are causing the trauma that are causing them to continually experience um, adverse childhood experiences. Right? If we don't step in, if we don't change the environment. We cannot possibly expect that we're going to yield healthy children, healthy fruit from poisoned soil. Your website says that one goal of RISE is to close Virginia's youth prisons. But 
at some point, doesn't that become a public safety factor? Surely there are some kids who need to be separated from the general population. You're absolutely right. There are some children that perhaps may not be able to receive services while living in their homes, but we should then be looking at creating very small. So right now we have Bonaire Juvenile Correctional Center, which is which has a capacity of 272. And it was quite frankly built after, modeled after an adult prison facility. That is not the appropriate or the proper place to attempt to then rehabilitate a child. We we understand already that a classroom size of over 25 is when it becomes a little more difficult to truly provide what's needed for every child in the room. We need to take that same uh, th- that same model and make sure that we are creating smaller spaces that are closer to home, that are surrounded by all of the resources that are needed, not just but by those children who have caused that significant harm and are unable to uh, remain safely in their homes, but what's needed by the full community. We are failing those particular communities because we are not allowing uh, for the appropriate resources to be provided so that they are healthy communities. The school environments are healthy. They're having health outcomes that are, uh, you know, everyone has access to health. If we provide the services necessary for the kids on the inside and for community so that those social determinants of health begin to uh, raise and they are um, appropriately provided for, for every community member, then those children will have an opportunity to rehabilitate, but so will the community right along with those children. So they will come out into a healthier environment. How beautiful would that be? that children that need um, more intensive services and care, that they receive it, but they also are able to transform along with their families, along with their community. And then we're able to, to truly see rehabilitation happen from our Department of Juvenile Justice. And you mentioned the one facility. Is that the only juvenile prison in Virginia? It is. Uh, Beaumont closed in 2017. And what was really um, so wonderful about that transition, there was a $40 million surplus created by the closure of Beaumont. And every one of those dollars was reinvested back into the Department of Juvenile Justice to create uh, what's called a continuum of care, making sure that the services that are needed for children with, you know, the, the, the lightest touch with the system to those children that we were just talking about, those ones that need those more intensive services and creating that continuum to serve children in the least restrictive environment as possible. So as many young folks as possible that could stay home and still um, receive the needed supports to rehabilitate you know, what a wonderful thing. And we saw so many community partners able to access those funds to build out their programming and to serve more children. Well, it's time to, you know, kind of, we've got to continue to build in that direction. You know, we can't go stagnant and we can't allow ourselves to fall backwards into this whole Uh, law and order and lock up more children. We can't go in that direction when we know that the root causes are hurting communities and hurting families. And RISE is proposing that the Virginia Department of Juvenile Justice be moved out of public safety and into public health. 
Do other states have these services under public health? Yes. As a matter of fact, there are 22 states that have either transitioned their Department of Juvenile Justice or its uh, equivalent in the state to either the health to, uh, the Secretary of Health their, or, or their standalone agencies. And what's so pivotal and important about that, here in Virginia, every child-serving agency is under the Department of Health or under the Secretary of Health, except education, which is its own standalone secretary. So if we can take a look at states like Arkansas and uh, you know Utah who have done this, and I mention them in particular because they are uh, conservative-leaning states, and they have made this transition and are beginning to see such profoundly positive outcomes from that transition. Taking a public health approach to public safety is one of the best ways to ensure that we aren't trying to punish children, but we are in the business of restoring them back to community. And if the community isn't a healthy and a safe place, that we are doing the work of ensuring that there are healthy spaces for children to grow, to learn, to develop, and that as we provide them with the services under their rehabilitation process in the department, we're doing it through a health lens. We're doing it through a how do we make sure that this is a healthy whole child who can then grow into a healthy contributing adult. Looking at your website, it seems to be very Richmond centric. Is this also an issue for our rural communities? It absolutely is. And, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate that right now it appears Richmond-centric, but we're working to change that. We are looking to build partnerships in the rural communities in Northern Virginia, in the, the Hampton Roads Tidewater area. But when we talk about rural communities, um, while the, uh, the makeup is different, the challenges are similar. When there aren't enough resources to ensure that uh, everything that children and families need to be successful, then we begin to see behaviors that are outside of what we would call uh, appropriate. And I, I, I struggle to criminalize lack. I struggle to say criminogenic behavior because sometimes folks are doing the absolute best that they can. And if the best that they can lands them in trouble with the law, then we need to start making sure that the resources are there and appropriate so that that isn't the path that uh, children or families have to take. Whereas in, um, in the city, there may be uh, overcrowding and not enough resources to go around. And then when you look at a rural community, it may be so spread out that the few resources that are there are not able to reach everyone. So the lack is, is, is the same, but how we end at lack is different. 
And so it is important that when we are talking about whether we're talking about the the uh, urban areas or the rural areas, that we are always looking at what is necessary to create healthy community, what is necessary to ensure that every child is able to thrive. And when we answer those questions and we begin to put those things into place, those resources and supports into place, then we can anticipate different outcomes for those children. Again, it's the healthy soil that yields the healthy fruit. And some of the recommendations for addressing the needs for juveniles include investing into healthy communities, including affordable housing, quality education, job skills programs, etc. These are the exact same recommendations I see for improving rural health. How do we convince people that control the funding that improving communities overall is necessary? You know, it, it's an interesting thing. So we have decided that, again, we have got to take this message on the road and ensure that rural communities, urban communities, every community is saying the exact same thing. And we begin to hold those uh, individuals with the purse strings accountable. If our legislators represent us, work for us, then we, if we with a united voice say, this is what we want, and they're unwilling to do it, they need to understand that collectively we are able to also put someone in that seat that will do what it is, do exactly what it is we're asking and what we need. Um, we're launching a campaign next week. It uh, launches on Monday and it's called Redefine the Vital Signs, Taking a Public Health Approach to Public Safety. And it's all about looking at the social determinants of health, asking individuals, what does a healthy, what does a safe community look like, sound like, smell like, taste like, feel like? And as we answer those questions, then beginning to plan out that community, that, that thing that we have envisioned in our mind, let's put it down on paper and write out all of the things that would be necessary to bring it to fruition. And then take on the task of creating the legislation that can move some of that. Talking to even our local officials and saying, this is something that you can do right now to bring this piece to fruition. But we need a blueprint. And we believe that every community ought to have the reins uh, in, in their own hands to create exactly what it is that they want their community to be like. And Rise for Youth, we just want to be the instigators of change. We want to be the ones perhaps starting the conversation, but we want those conversations to reverberate across the Commonwealth so that every legislator, every local official recognizes that we are not going to allow some communities to flourish while others wane and, and languish. We are no longer going to allow some education uh, district, some school districts to be robustly and, and well uh, funded. 
while others are just barely getting by and perhaps their materials are years old and their buildings are even falling apart. That we're not going to have this haves and have nots mentality anymore. We're not going to stand for it. And we're going to make sure that if you are an official, if you are, whether you're local or whether you are at the state uh, in the General Assembly, we're going to hold you accountable to ensuring that Virginia is a Virginia for every, every citizen, every person who lives in this, this commonwealth ought to have opportunity and access to, to really thriving. What else do we need to know about RISE and the wonderful work you're doing? You know, we are in the middle of our Youth Development Academy. So every every year we host uh, somewhere between uh, 15 to 20 students and we expose them to the many forms of advocacy, uh, whether it be environmental justice, financial literacy. Uh, we have legislators come in and talk with our young folks. Um, uh, we have advocates that are in the arts come in and speak with our young folks. We take them to uh, museums of culture and of history, and we expose them to all of the great ways that they can use their power, their voice, uh, their skills and abilities. We enhance them and then allow them to have six-month paid internships with whichever of the presenters that they have heard and learned from so that they can go deeper in the work. And we look at this as building the network of RISE because we want to make sure that there isn't a place in the Commonwealth that doesn't recognize the value of our children and the need to pour into them. And so it's really exciting. We have uh, another month of, of engagement with presenters, and then our young folks are going to graduate and, and go out into the wide world. We believe that we're creating an army of educated and empowered and activated young folks to step into these spaces of leadership and begin to change and shape the Commonwealth in the ways that it needs to be shaped. Um, yeah, we are all about empowering young people. We have got to really recognize the value of children. They are our future, and that future is now. You know, there is an African proverb that says, well, actually, it's a greeting. And, it's, and, and the one person will say, and how are the children? And that response, it is considered a measure of the health of that community, of that family. And so I am hoping that we as Virginians, we can do the same, that I can say to my rural sisters and brothers, and how are the children? And that you will be able to answer me, the children are well, and that will be the measure of the health of the community, that I can say to urban sisters and brothers, how are the children? And the response across the Commonwealth will be, the children are well. I like that. Children are well. If someone is concerned about the youth justice system in Virginia, what can they do? I would I would first say, please follow Rise for Youth. Um, go to our website and sign up to get updates from us. Uh, follow us on social media. There is a, a quarterly board meeting that you can go and you can hear what's going on in the Department of Juvenile Justice. There's the Children's Cabinet. There are all of these spaces that are specifically um, 
designed to talk about uh, the children in the Commonwealth. But I would say as step one, follow Rise for Youth, get connected with us. Let us know that you want to be activated and you want to be a part of the making the change happen. And I promise we'll connect with you and we'll get things done. Excellent. So the last question, question I ask all my guests, if you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and health care in rural Virginia? What would I do? I would ensure that, number one, the, the way we measure the health and health care of, of the most affluent communities that that would be the way it was measured in rural Virginia. And those same measures to ensure that everything necessary for an affluent community, those same efforts would be placed on ensuring that healthcare was available to every, uh, every resident of rural Virginia. Um, I, I can't say that it would be a one for one because it would have to be the folks in rural Virginia that said, this is what we need. But once what was needed is made, once we are aware of what's needed, that we would then spend every resource to ensure that it is there. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today, Valley. We appreciate your time and appreciate the hard work you're doing. Thank you so much, Beth, for having me. And um, it is an absolute pleasure. And I'm looking forward to uh, continuing the conversation and perhaps visiting rural Virginia so that we can get to work on the ground. Absolutely. That's Valerie Slater encouraging us to measure health by the highest standards. If you want to be part of the conversation about rural health, join us in Williamsburg this November. For more information, visit vrha.org, click the Events tab at the top of the page, and select Rural Health Voice Annual Conference. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.